1: What's up, Bengals fans? It's the Orange and or Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you. I'm Anthony Kazenza, joined by John, the man. Sheeran. He's got he's got the uh, the skeleton man behind him, dressed to the nines. If you're joining us live on the uh, on the video, John, what's going on, man? How's your week going?
2: Yeah, Randall's more of a man than I've ever been. You know, he's seen more more life than me. So I'm doing good, though. I'm doing good.
1: I almost committed blasphemy there and almost called Randall Russell. I was just having like a brain fart there, and I don't know why I was doing that, but regardless, uh, he looks nothing like a Russell. I don't know what you thought. I I know. I know. Good to see you. Good to see Randall. Uh, This time we were late because of me, not because of StreamYard. I can't blame it on StreamYard for those of you tuning into the live show, but good to have you with us. We've got some fun topics on tap. For you tonight, talking about some of the sights and sounds from the owners' meetings, some interesting news coming from that, from the Bengals' brain trust, and then of course we've got draft talk. Not quite mock draft time for us on the show yet. We'll get we'll get to a couple of those, and of course we're kind of scrambling as I think a lot of people are, John, covering the Bengals with with the draft profiles and whatnot, even with the free agency stuff because of the Bengals' deep deep run. We thought we'd have a little more time, but thankfully we we did not.
2: No, dude, everybody is the exact same right now. It was going all the way up to the Super Bowl, which is the middle of February. And then it was decompressing from the Super Bowl. It took a, like a week and a half. And then it was entirely just free agency for the next month. Now we're a month away from the draft and everybody's getting caught up on that. I mean, usually yeah, we're like, yeah. we're months ahead of this at this point. And we haven't even got to a mock draft, thank God. But I suppose we have to get to that eventually, sooner or later
1: we we will do that yes we will do that and uh we'll we'll be a a little bit more prepared i guess than we are at the moment in terms of draft stuff but we do have a draft profile this week that we're going to get to you and a very intriguing one as it goes with the cincinnati Bengals, and especially because of the position and the talent there and then of course we've got another discussion in terms of positional need that we'll get to as well but john first things first The owners' meetings are being conducted currently, and there's some interesting things coming out of it, not only from a league-wide perspective, but from a Bengals-centric perspective. Katie Blackburn now now on the uh, competition committee, Um, so really cool news there. And, of course, she dropped a lovely gem of a piece of information about the indoor practice facility that folks have been clamoring for for literally decades It sounds like the Bengals are really working towards making that a reality.
2: It's funny because like, that's the only thing that we were told. It was that, yeah, we're actively seeking it. And that could be the, God, I'm going to, I think it's Hilltop Concrete, which is the the site that's next to the outdoor uh, practice fields next to the stadium that they've been trying to get rezoned now for, I think, years. I don't know if it's that. But if there's one thing I do know about the Bengals and management is that they wouldn't say something like this. Like, it's not it's not something that we're just consider that they're just considering It's something that they're trying to get done. And they wouldn't be saying that. Now, I know they were asked about it. It's not like they just came out and just said it out of the blue. Like they were asked the question, Katie was, and she wouldn't say that they were like actively seeking it if something wasn't already kind of in the works. And this was I don't know if it was a leak a couple weeks ago, but it was something that our good friend Zim Hude kind of got word of. And then he quickly deleted a tweet regarding it. And I kind of reached out to him and said, yeah, he caught me. But um, it, it is something that's definitely has been in the works for some time. And I think there was some traction uh, regarding news to it a couple weeks ago. So now I think everyone is getting caught up about it because Katie actually put it out into the ether. And it's le- it's legitimately in progress or it's trying to be worked out right now, but that's really all we know. It could be it could be literally anything at this point, but I think the best guess is they're they are
1: making progress
2: on getting that land from a hilltop in Hamilton County right now.
1: You are 100 percent correct in your assessment of the Bengals aren't going to put something out there if this isn't something they are concretely thinking about or and or are already in the works of things. They don't put out there they are not in the overpromise underdeliver under-deliver type of thing when it comes to these types of situations. And, of course, we are sharing the screen of the great Jay Morrison from The Athletic, and here is the full exchange. You definitely got to go check out Jay Morrison's Twitter if for some reason you are not following him and or subscribing to The Athletic. Um, any movement on a possible indoor facility? This was the interaction, apparently, with uh, courtesy of Jay Morrison. We are considering ways to make that happen, so I should be more up to speed but we are definitely looking to plan for that when we have some things to report. I'm uh, well, I'm sure I'll be out there saying what we're thinking there. So not down the road, you mean imminent. Yeah. We're looking actively at some things. It's something we realize would be good for us to have. So we're trying to find out ways. Next question from a recruiting standpoint, not from a recruiting standpoint, just from a practicality standpoint of having an indoor place to practice. All the way through January, halfway through February, exactly. We plan on needing it all the way to February, obviously making a tongue-in-cheek reference, so to speak, with the Super Bowl and all of that. So, John Sheeran, what do you make of those comments from Katie Blackburn as we continue to expand on her, you know, seeming like we're, we're heading towards an indoor practice facility here? I mean, it
2: is tongue in cheek, but it's also not because like that was the (laughs) that that was the situation that they dealt with this year. It was the reason why they went out to Los Angeles like a week early so that they didn't have to use the University of Cincinnati's indoor bubble uh, during an ice storm, right? To get accustomed to the climate that they were going to play out in L.A. If you're in the playoffs consistently, and that's certainly the expectation now going forward and you're going to play in January and February, like. you you could feasibly play in warmer climates during the playoffs, but it's not about necessarily like avoiding the cold. It's in situations where it's either too cold or the weather is too inclement. Like it's a logistical nightmare to get up and go to, you know, drive up a few miles North to Cincinnati to borrow their facility and have to, you know, bust the players to that place. that's not near your own stadium and whatnot. So it's, that along with the fact that, yeah, if you need that facility to avoid bad weather because bad weather leads to bad practices and bad practices lead to bad games, like that's the whole point. It's not necessarily, oh, it's, you know, kind of cold outside. It would be nice to be in, in like a heated facility. No, it's just about avoiding any more logistical nightmares that they kind of had to deal with uh, leading up to the Super Bowl. And I don't think it necessarily negatively impacted, but it's nice to have, that kind of luxury that basically every other team in this situation has so yeah i know like the whole argument was that oh it builds toughness and whatnot to practice outdoors and i don't think that's necessarily going to change but if you have that and you have the accessibility to something like that then you might as well take advantage of it
1: i couldn't agree with you more and this you know for someone that has you know that there's multiple schools of thought with this thing. And some people, a lot of people have largely been in the school of, you know, act like a big boy franchise, get this thing done, especially because the whole, what is it, northernmost city without an indoor practice facility and yada, 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 played into the really lazy narrative of the Bengals being cheap and all of that. And it's easy to point to that kind of thing. Thing when the Bengals were not winning postseason games, when they were not making postseason appearances, when they were not making Super Bowl appearances. And now, as they come off of one, you now kind of say this is a little bit of icing on the cake in terms of everything that they've done because of all the big boy franchise stuff that they have done in the last couple of years, engaged in outside free agency, ring of honor. And now you've got this situation where you can kind of say, wow, the Bengals are really trending in a direction that... and." and Here's what's, here's what's surprising to me, John. All of this stuff, you know, you look back at the three past years of outside free agency, look at the Ring of Honor last year, and now the talk of the indoor facility. This is a, a franchise and an organization and an ownership group that they change, but it takes a long time. And this change that we're seeing, or a perceived change, has seemingly taken place in just a pretty short period of time after fans have been calling for the indoor practice facility, the Ring of Honor, for a long, long time.
2: I think, more than anything, when the conversation about the frugality of the organization gets brought up, you really do have to look at it like they are very ordinary people that happen to run... An NFL franchise and have assets that are close to a billion dollars, but they operate like a small business in a lot of ways. And small businesses do not like sunk costs, they don't like wasting money, they don't like investing in things that they don't think are they're gonna get the full value of it. You see that in their free agency plans, like right? they don't go after older guys who maybe have peaked as players. They Katie made a great point or very insightful point about the Justice contract situation where it's not necessarily about the guaranteed money. But if you have a lot of money tied up in one player and something bad happens, a la Trey Wayne's, then that, you know, it's it's a negative impact towards the rest of the team. So they, they don't typically like to throw a lot of money or assets into something that they don't think they're gonna get the full value of. And you can equate that to the to the practice facility, if you will. But now they see the value of a practice facility that a lot of people were projecting, like this is the reason why you should make this investment. Well, now they see it with their own eyes and they feel like they have the team, the culture, the locker room, or whatever the case may be. They feel like it's now is the right time to make that investment and they have the money to do that. So I think they just needed to be woken up for the exact perp, you know, the exact scenario of why you should get it. And it's more than just, oh, like in the future, if you're successful and you're playing the playoff games, like this is why, but it actually had to happen in order for this to get this far, I guess.
1: So here's, I mean, this is all good news and again I, I what I what I like the most about it, quite honestly and it goes hand in hand with the free agency stuff that we saw over the past couple of weeks. I, I think I said this you know the past couple of, of weeks on the show that the Bengals after this really somewhat unexpected and really fun Super Bowl run, they're not sitting back and saying, okay, we're we're there now. You know, uh, they're they're doing things and they are operating aggressively and they are continuing to find ways to improve the team, continuing to find ways to improve their operations. And yes, this seems like a small, maybe meaningless step to a lot of people on the outside looking in. But it is something that is a big step for the Cincinnati Bengals that they get this facility and obviously land some big market, you know, uh, middle upper tier free agents at their biggest positions of need, spend some money and, and make it work. So, you know, I think, I think we're all pretty excited about this. Here's the big question though, John, who with whom do you place the credit for some of these things? Because for years we sat here and we said, man, Marvin really changed things with the Bengals. Marvin Lewis spurred a lot of change, but he just couldn't push Mike Brown to get here for the indoor practice facility couldn't push for this. Obviously, we weren't behind the curtain to see exactly what happened, but we had the idea in our heads that Marvin Lewis nudged this franchise to modernism. And there are a lot of people outside of the Bengals organization looking in that would echo that. I remember Shannon Sharp used to say that all the time about the about the Bengals and Marvin Lewis. Um, couldn't get him there. And now you've got this young, energetic head coach and Zach Taylor and his crew. You've got Elizabeth Blackburn really taking center stage and you've got Katie Blackburn now asserting herself kind of into the Mike Brown role as more and more years pass. I don't know to whom. I mean, I I guess credit can be shared all around, but I mean, where are you sitting here saying this is why I think things have been going the way they have been going over the past couple of years in a positive direction for the Bengals in terms of operations?
2: It's Katie because she's the one making all the plans and decisions like Mike Brown may, may have final say on, on a lot of these things, but he's not, he's not who a lot of fans think that he is anymore. Like he's not waking up and, and doing everything. Like that's, that's Katie's literal role at this point. Like she is not the future of Bengals ownership. She is the future and present of Bengals ownership. And I think it's really important. Just the timeline of everything that's happened. Like Zach Taylor was Duke Tobin in, in the Blackburns hire, right? Like, Duke Tobin was on the podium with Mike Brown when they introduced Zach Taylor. Like that, that was them saying that Duke Tobin, like you're basically the de facto GM at this point, this was your move. And at that time, like Katie's power and influence in the organization was continuing to grow. Now she's, you know, on the competition committee. She's more or less the owner at this point. She's doing the day-to-day operations. She's, she is responsible for everything that's being, that's happening right now. And Mike is still the president and owner. He may have some final say in a lot of things, but it's been Katie who's pushing all the all the strings here. And I think the timeline of Zach getting here a year later, it's Burrow and the aggressiveness and free agency has paid off. And as they've progressed on the field in terms of winning, I think they're just continuing to take these next steps because they're seeing it work step by step, progress by progress that is going on. And that's why you're seeing things continue to build instead of like you were alluding to, them being complacent, just accepting winning the fact that there's so much being shown for in just three years now of Zach Taylor's tenure, just two years of burrow. I think that's why you're not seeing them getting stagnant on all these things. And you're seeing just them checking off thing after thing on their checklist of things
1: that probably should have been done a long time ago. I'm really happy to hear you credit Katie Blackburn and not because I don't think Zach and Elizabeth. It's not because I think they do not deserve credit. They do. And we, we, and rightfully so lauded Elizabeth Blackburn before the season began because of the ring of honor initiative and all of that and her letter to fans, everything that, you know, the ruler of the jungle, the whole, the whole rigmarole that we saw in the, the, in this really fun season. Um, But it's easy, you know, when you see these newer, whether it's Zach, whether it's Elizabeth getting into these newer positions of, of, power, I guess, if you want to call them that, or just prominence within the organization, it's easy to say, well, that's, those are the catalysts of change. And I, I I think you are very astute in your observation with uh, pointing to Katie uh, and, you know, it's, it's easy to overlook her because she has been part of this ownership group and has been in the operations for a very long time. And, You know, there's there are some stigmas that remain because of that. But if you go back to the old uh, the first season of hard knocks that the Bengals were in back in 2009, she was the one doing the hardball negotiations with Andre Smith's camp. She was entrenched in that one. Um, and, And you can go back to a lot of different things where she was you know, kind of playing pivotal roles. And now she is, as you mentioned, and as I mentioned, is on the competition committee now. She is, I think, you know, signing off on all of these things that her daughter Elizabeth is, is saying, you know, these are really necessary moves from a PR standpoint, from a franchise standpoint, et cetera. And while Katie, in that quote that we shared from Jay Morrison said, this isn't necessarily a recruiting effort, meaning the indoor practice facility I think that's an ancillary effect, really. I mean, I, right. it, some some players don't some players don't care about it. Some players do. You've heard mixed opinions, but the more you have, uh, you know, when you when you bring in a free agent visit, now that you're able to do those again post COVID, um, you know, the more you're able to do that, and and the more you're able to show off some of your facilities, the more wow factor you have. And while that may not be a goal, they just kind of view it as a franchise necessity. That comes with it. And, you know, I, I really think it's a very good observation on your part to, to credit Katie, because it's easy to overlook her and her role in this whole thing.
2: Right. And Elizabeth gets a lot of love and deservingly so. Like, I think it it's worth noting that Mike has spoken highly of her as as someone who puts their foot down and said, like, this is something that we should probably do. Uh, referring to like Ring of Honor last year, because that was something that Mike was always kind of hesitant about. And that's that's Katie's daughter. So you can see that you know as the generations go on, you're seeing more and more close to. I think you put it in nicely, very modernism. But at the same time, just because it, it's a new person kind of running the things, like Katie learned everything that she knows from Mike. There's still a lot of shades of Mike Brown and Katie Black. We're not saying that's a bad thing, but I think Jake Listko, our friend, made a good point on Twitter: the Bengals in the last three years, Ring of Honor, practice facility, spending in free agency. All without really changing like their financial philosophies. Like they haven't really gone out and given that big of different of contracts in free agency. It's just happens to be going towards external players instead of their own. And that I don't think that's going to change because Katie again everything from on the negotiating table that she learned she learned from Mike. So I don't think they're going to go out and completely change their identity in terms of spending, but it's, it is a different person and she has different influences. And now she has a daughter that is very influential, two daughters, I should say that are very influential in the building and ideas get bounced off. And that's just what the next generation is, right? It's always supposed to get better as time goes on and and
1: the next generation takes over. Totally. And I think just the new, the new energy of maybe some younger folks in the building with, with different ideas and whatnot, that is uh, always a good thing here and here it is socks always generous with the youtube super chats thank you so much socks appreciate that i don't know if that's a uh a oh red sox or white socks reference or just socks i don't know because it's sox uh regardless the comment short sweet place the credit where it belongs katie and elizabeth um i think you can you can go there and here's the big thing john i know uh it was it it hasn't Necessarily been said. I at least, from what I've seen from Katie's standpoint, I've heard Elizabeth allude to it a little bit publicly, and that is, we hear you, the fans. We hear what you wanted. You have wanted the Ring of Honor. You have wanted an indoor practice facility, not to placate the you know us little babies with pacifiers or whatever. But it's it's you know the fans. The, the fans want this stuff, and when you engage them, did you? You saw how the Bengals were great about engaging the the fan base throughout the entire year and throughout the Super Bowl run but did you also see it reciprocated from the fan base and yeah. how much they attended the pep rallies they attended the games they sold them out they made these big big things and and I think they finally are are not that they not that they didn't get it but I think they are once they engaged in that fan synergy I think they were like we can't get enough of this we got to we got to keep this rolling
2: that's true. And also, I think the winning kind of helped with that, too. And I think just everything kind of coming together, it was just like the perfect storm. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say something. Oh, it, oh, it, it is funny, though, because like, yeah, it's the Ring of Honor and an indoor facility. That's like the two things that f- the fan base has been harping on. Neither one impacts the fans, right? right. It's it's completely entirely right, for right. the players, right? It's like right. the fans speaking for the players the fans aren't going to use the indoor facility the fans aren't going to get inducted into the ring of honor but you know that i think that's the good part of fandom right you have a connection to the players and you care about them and, and their well-being and these are two things that like you said they're not going to help recruiting necessarily it's all about money it's all about the quarterback that's always going to be the two things that help bring in high talent but they certainly can't hurt in these situations so it's, just, it's just the standard now we talked about this with the ring of honor last year that's the standard around the league the indoor facilities is also a standard too. And if you use it right, you can get benefits off of it.
1: Yeah. The, I don't want to say recently departed because that alludes to like death, but the, the, the CJ Uzama, who recently left the club for the West New York East. Jets. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mean, I didn't mean it that way. Uh, <laughs> but he said it, you know, the standard is the standard, right? Wasn't he the guy that said, you know, this is the, this is the standard. Yeah. This is what we, and, uh, you know, now I, I just, I, I guess from being from, following this team for a really long time, John and covering them for Cincy jungle and on podcasts and all that kind of stuff. I I just get jazzed hearing about this news. And I know it's just kind of a little, you know, tidbit of info, but just, this is the kind of stuff that makes you say, you know, it, it, while you say it's for the players and you are absolutely correct with that. It brings a sense of pride to the fan base to say, you know, these are the things, these are the things they're doing. Let's brag about Anthony Munoz, Ken Anderson, Ken Riley, Paul Brown in the Ring of Honor. Let's brag about the next class. Let's brag about this brand new facility that they are seemingly going to unveil pretty soon here, and um, you know, show that even though they are a, you know, not not in the New York market, the L.A. market, what have you, they they have some top notch facilities, and that's uh, it's it's a sense of pride among the fan base, I think.
2: This is definitely more fun to talk about than the Sean Watson's uh, depositions.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Slightly. Slightly. Uh, thank you, Bengals-Browns football. Uh, Speaking of which. Appreciate, yeah, appreciate that uh, for the super chat there. Let's keep rolling on. Uh, I, I, I don't know if there's any other real big tidbits of information that we want to share from the owners' meetings. If you've got one, John, um, you know I'm all ears. That was obviously the major one, though.
2: Yeah, I think there was just something else that she said about Bates, like I alluded to earlier. They were obviously trying to negotiate a contract during uh, the last offseason, which we kind of already knew, and it went up to the franchise tag. But it does seem like, based off her comments, um, that negotiations will pick up here pretty shortly as free agency has now died down. The new deadline is July 15th. We don't know what the safety market, if that has impacted uh, negotiations at all, but, you know even though it kind of seemed like that was like the do or die situation, like if not by the tag, it's not going to happen. I'm not, I'm not entirely counting out at this point. It's just all a matter of if Bates is willing to come back to the table and work with what the Bengals are trying to work with, with their usual tendencies. But again, still very much up in the air, but I guess her comments kind of alluded to. It's not completely dead in the water just yet.
1: Uh, I, I was sent. I'm trying to figure out if this is, accurate here uh about and this is from our good friend uh mike holbrook who's been a, a good friend of the show sent me this tweet here um am i seeing uh, there's there's a statement of bruce arians um with the yeah. with the buccaneers um kind of walking away it looks like huh
2: yeah he's he's retired he's quote-unquote retiring but he's moving up to basically like a senior football consultant which is like i guess the dream job you're, you're the you're the master suggester, as Ted Nguyen uh, pointedly said. Um, but yeah, I think Todd Bowles is taking over, which is like always the succession plan there. Yeah. But after Brady announced his unretiring, is kind of interesting timing.
1: Odd timing, and like you said, going from Arians, a, a offensive guy, to Bowles, a defensive guy, that's going to be an interesting transition. Even though that was probably the the plan in place. But yes, going up to the front office, that's kind of the. I don't know. I'm ignorant to it, but that was kind of the joke with like an executive producer on like movies yeah. or something, right? You know, you kind of have the influence, but uh, you're not the guy behind the camera necessarily. I, I feel, you know what I'm saying?
2: I feel like that's what Bengals fans wanted Marvin Lewis to be. Right? They did, yeah, yes, something like that. So I think Arians is better suited for
1: it than Lewis because I don't even think Lewis wanted to do
2: it. So good for him.
1: Yep. So a little bit of breaking news, and thank you, Mike, for doing that. We uh, were busy with obviously on air stuff, but appreciate you sending that over. And this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We have a uh, quite a few of live viewers here across multiple live streaming platforms good to have all of you with us you can catch every live stream on our youtube channel and you can catch that uh by clicking the icon down below john's window there and by the sb nation cincy jungle logo click that to subscribe to the youtube channel click the bell to be notified when we go live when new content is available we're also streaming live on the cincy jungle facebook page so go ahead and give that a like as well as multiple twitter accounts so um no excuses Tune in live if you can. And if you can't and you like the audio version of the show, of course, you can get it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the major ones. We are there. We appreciate all the support, not only that you've shown us throughout this past fun year, but the years prior that maybe weren't so fun. We appreciate all the support that uh, you have shown us.
0: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: John, you provided a good segue for me, and this is going to be, I don't know, maybe a reach of a talking point. You were talking about Jesse Bates, the contract situation and how the Bengals will be reengaging that per Katie Blackburn. This has been an ongoing saga now for, you know, a little while with with Bates and obviously a a player who has earned a second team all pro designation, a very good player and a guy, you know, I was I was speaking with someone, um, another Bengals fan friend of mine that was asking me about Bates. And, you know, I said he's a very good player, but when you look at the season's. And even, you know, in a single season, there are two kinds of two Jesse Bates, almost there's two seasons within seasons, it would seem sometimes with him, regardless, a very good player and one that the Bengals and almost every fan would love for them to keep. However, when we talk about the draft, uh, you know, I don't I don't know if this is truly a state your case. I guess this is maybe more of a what if or, you know, what, what do you think type of thing? As we get to the draft, you know, there may be a position, you know, the Bengals have tried to eliminate positions of need and desperation going into this. And they did a nice job of that with the free agency signings along the offensive line. But, you know, one that we're not talking about a lot is safety. And we, we talk all the time about how the Bengals do not traditionally value that position, much like a guard. And that it kind of is proving the point in some ways with a lack of a long-term agreement with Jesse Bates, although they did pay him the franchise tag amount. So there's some chatter going on here. And I'm going to try and make this as uh, succinct and clear as possible here. But so there's been some chatter. And one of the major safeties in this year's class is Notre Dame's Kyle Hamilton. And early in the draft process, Kyle Hamilton has been a guy that's been, you know, basically consensus top guy at his position, a guy they've, I've, I've read all kinds of reports on him. Watched some, some film on him, et cetera. And he's been labeled a unicorn, a guy that's almost like an Isaiah Simmons in some people's eyes where you can kind of, maybe you bulk him up a little bit. He plays a little linebacker or he's just kind of a Paul Amalu type where you just say, here, just go play, just, just get out there and play. And uh, you know, it's, there's not a true position, but I mean, he, he's, he's shown some ball hawking ability. He's shown the ability to come up in the box um, you know, it, it seems to be that he could play in a lot of different schemes based on things I've read and seen and and watched. So here's the issue with Kyle Hamilton, and I'm going to share some tweets here of stuff that have come out of Pro Day and and all of that. Um, this is from Daniel Jeremiah on Twitter responding to Bengal YouTube, um, a, a prominent uh, YouTuber there. The the Pro Day, you know, there, you've seen four, five, nine as where he's been clocked. He's obviously a big guy, six, four, you know, well into the 200. So he's a big guy, but a lot of people thought he'd just be kind of that Taylor May's mold, right? Where he's running the four, fours. And that's not the case. He, there was a four, five, nine time, but you see Daniel Jeremiah saying he, I was told he ran in the low four sevens. Then you have Dane Brugler, another prominent draft guru who said he was told the same. I'm going to share this tweet here. 4-7 and four seven four 4 for Kyle Hamilton at the Notre Dame Pro Day, kind of piggybacking off of Daniel Jeremiah's thing here. And, of course, uh, you know, what does that mean? It sounds like if, if there's questions on his speed, this could cause a guy who was maybe a top five, top ten, again, not a premier position in the league's eyes, could he fall a little bit, maybe to the middle of the first round, maybe towards the 20s, who knows, Maybe even further. I don't I don't know. Now, Daniel Jeremiah is sitting here saying here's another tweet and I'll wrap it up with this. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah saying it's in terms of is this an issue, the speed issue? It's an issue in terms of where he lands, but not an issue in how he'll play. You don't see many safeties go top 10 with those numbers. So a guy who could be a top 10 talent could maybe be one of those random free-falling draft day guys, even though he's a premier talent. Now, Von Bell, his contract is expiring after, after this season, set to expire. You got Jesse Bates on a franchise deal. You're struggling to get him on a deal. You've done a lot. You've shown a lot of aggressiveness, both as an organization and in free agency, to bolster your roster here. The Bengals don't traditionally move up, nor do they move up for a safety. I think the only time they took a safety in the first round was Darrell Williams years ago. They've used used other second round picks, Jesse Bates, others, uh, Lamont Thompson, if you remember that one. Uh, They've used second round picks on safeties before. I don't know. Regardless, if this guy falls, even with some needs at offensive line, even with a need at cornerback is this a guy where you just say this is too good to pass up, especially with some of the contract issues we have at the safety position going forward.
2: My thing is, why did he run at his pro day? He ran a four-five-nine at the combine for someone who's 6'4", 220. Like that seems perfectly fine to me. Like I don't remember what Jesse Bates's forty was, but I don't think he was blazing fast. The thing with Hamilton, no, yeah, like the thing with Hamilton, you go to his uh, draft profile on PFF. They say shades of longer Derwin James. That seems pretty damn good. You would mm-hmm. want that type of prototype player to play safety for you. The guy is six. Like he's built like a receiver. Who's like AJ Green, but like thicker a little bit. And he's got insane range as a free safety and he's got consistent ball production. Why, why would he not want a four five time as a four? I don't know why he would run another Dame, but if he shown that in a, standardized environment he can run sub 4-6 it's questionable why he would run at Notre Dame's Pro Day at all but if that's the case if teams are looking at him with athleticism questions maybe just a question of what safety position does he play like is is he not just completely in like can he not just be put into any scheme on a defense and it just has to be a specific fit for whatever defensive coordinator wants him if that is something that is a concern, then maybe he could reasonably fall. I think if the Bengals are sitting there at 31, draft history be damned. Like he should be a bona fide, like top of the first round prospect. And that would definitely definitely get their attention. I don't think that Bates is going to be extended by that point. I don't think Von Bell is going to be extended by by that point. I will say it would shock me if one of those guys does not receive an extension by the time the 2022 season begins, because I don't think that they would want both of those players to enter their contract years. But if that's the case, if they're having trouble extending at least one of them, it would not shock me at all. If they picked a safety pretty early and Kyle Hamilton happens to be the best one. He's like a top five prospect by a lot of people's accounts. But if for whatever reason, he he's just this mysterious slide because teams aren't sure what to do with him. And like you said, Isaiah Simmons, like that, that could scare other teams because i say isaiah simmons hasn't really proven to be worth a top whatever pick i think it was like the eighth overall pick in 2020 Mm -hmm. like derwin james is phenomenal but again like that type of player is rare and if you're not sure that kyle hamilton is that guy then yeah yeah, it's totally possible and if the Bengals are sitting there and he's at the top of their board no matter who else is there i think you kind of have to take him regardless of where you are at with jesse bates and von bell like they took bates In the second round of 2018, I don't remember anyone really talking about him or the Bengals taking a safety early that year at all because it was all about the centers and everything and they still needed linebackers. And they took Bates in the second round when they had both George Aloka and Sean Williams under contract and then they caught Aloka that season Then Jesse Bates is a rookie starter and that could definitely be definitely be Kyle Hamilton because he's that good. So I think this is entirely possible. It's just a matter of if he does fall that far and if teams have these questions about him, I guess it's
1: not out of the question. So there, there are other questions. Now, number one, I'm not necessarily saying Kyle Hamilton, a top five, top 10 talent in this draft is going to fall all the way to 31. I, it, I, t- but what I'm saying is teams get weird. Right. Teams teams commit paralysis by over analysis. A lot of scouts, draft gurus, people that, you know, goof around with film like you, you and I do, they, you know, they get higher on players, lower on players than teams seem to be. Um, and we've seen guys that man, that guy was a second rounder and they got taken in the twenties or what have you. You see, Jeremy James, you mentioned his name a couple of times. Do you know where he went in the draft? He was a guy that was supposed to go top ten. He fell to 17 to the Chargers, he fell on their lap. So the these things happen. Now, again, I'm not saying Kyle Hamilton is going to drop to 31 per se. There could be a situation where he drops into the late teens, into the 20s, and then at that point, the Bengals may need to have a serious discussion. Do you move up and sacrifice some of the draft capital that they don't like to do in the first round for a guy like this that has been called a quote unquote unicorn, or, uh, you know, are, are you banking on the fact that teams see this guy and they see a raw athletic freak at safety and it's Taylor Mays 2.0, right? Um, and, and then you, you have the speed question, along with this where you know did he run a 4.59 or did he run a 4.74 as some of these draft gurus are saying is the case at pro at pro day this could be all a pipe dream he could be gone by the time pick 10 even rolls rolls around but as these times have started to trickle through his speed is being questioned um obviously then you talk about you know is there still the you know is he is he a straight line speed guy is there the hip fluidity all of that all of these questions now come come to the forefront, and this could be a guy all of a sudden where you go, well, maybe this is a little bit more of a realistic scenario, even if it means moving up than we originally anticipated.
2: Yeah, Jesse Bates ran a four or five flats at the twenty eighteen combine. I think it just under or just around two hundred pounds. Kyle Hamilton's two twenty. If he runs a four six, it's basically the same when you account for just overall density. And again, like I, I don't know how much. Straight line speed really matters with a safety who clearly has the instincts to cover sideline to sideline. That's like Hamilton's biggest strength. We'll say though, he did give up a touchdown to the UC Bearcats. (laughs) Bearcats That game, I was in that end zone when it happened. I'm like, Kyle Hamilton, really, guys? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe a little fall to 31. So I, I do, I do agree with the premise though. Like, there's always some surprise in the draft, and I think with Hamilton. On paper, he looks like a great prospect, but like you said, teams tend to overthink sometimes because something may not be adding up or maybe a guy is not a a completely clean and perfect prospect and it just takes a number of teams to kind of fall into that same mindset. And like you said, Derwin James ends up at the 17th overall pick and like how the hell did did this happen? So Hamilton could definitely be that guy if enough teams question the the legitimacy of his profile.
1: Here's the other thing that I I think calls this whole... Thing into this whole scenario into question that uh, you know could make this some form of a realistic possibility for the Bengals, and that is where teams are with certain positions right now. Are you seeing how wide receivers are being paid? Yeah, so wide receivers, talented wide receivers, they're going to be hot commodities in the draft because of the affordability factor that teams want to take on, right? Have you seen the shortage of quality offensive linemen in the NFL right now? Teams are going to clamor to get who they perceive to be quality offensive linemen in the draft because they could be affordable and, you know, they just need options right now. Obviously, quarterbacks are always going to be in play. So there's just a little bit of emphasis on other positions other than a safety or a guy that, you know, much like – do you remember where Lamar Jackson got drafted? I mean Mm – because there were questions, well, do you do you put a little bulk on him and you play him at wide receiver or running back, what have you? There's similar <laughs> conversations being said about Kyle Hamilton. Do you put some weight on him and play him as a true linebacker and, and let, him, let him do his thing there? So these are the kinds of questions that all of a sudden co- cause teams to potentially overthink it and say, well, who do we actually see on tape here instead of a 40-time, instead of rumblings of if he's a linebacker, safety, whatnot.
2: Yeah, and – when you're picking 31st in most years, and I, I would assume that this year is no different, you're looking at mostly guys that you would have graded in the second round. And maybe there's like one or two guys that are left there with first-round grades, and you either take them as best player available or you reach for need. I think the Bengals are in a position right now where they handled most of their needs in, in free agency. They see a guy like Hamilton who has great long-term potential. He's going to be 21, I think, for the entirety of his rookie yep. year. So he's coming in really young that frame is insane. So we can obviously put on some more weight. If that happens to be what they want to do, it, they would just make a lot of sense. So I, I agree with this premise for sure.
1: Well, glad to know that. And that is a, that at 31 or maybe a little bit up from there, that is a swing for the fence that the Bengals could afford to take based on the possible upside of the player. There just some, some draft thoughts before we uh, get into our mock drafts and future episodes here. You know, just some thoughts on a on a premier seemingly premier player. Some questions are arising, and some people are thinking there could be a little bit of a draft slide there, and a potential positional fit, at least for longer term. Not necessarily right now, but for longer term with the Cincinnati Bengals and Kyle Hamilton. We're going to continue on, and John is doing the work here on a draft profile, a player. Again, position of need based on some things that have happened here. The Bengals kind of set themselves up not to be desperate for this position, but a player who is talented and could help the Bengals out pretty quickly.
2: There's one thing I know about the Bengals. They don't like to hide anything, right? What you see is what you get. If you have guys taking visits, rumors about certain players, typically when there's smoke, there's fire with the Bengals. There's a lot of smoke right now with the Bengals and tight end Trey McBride. Trey McBride's pro day for Colorado State was today as of this recording on Wednesday. Tight end coach James Casey worked him out at the pro day. And at that pro day, he ran a four, five, four, 40 yard dash. So unlike Kyle Hamilton, no questions about his speed. Mm-hmm. Six, four, just under 250 pounds. I think he was tested very average in terms of explosion at the combine. But the 40 was like the last question mark for him. And he passed that with flying colors because everything else about McBride is phenomenal as like a true junior he was the focal point of Colorado State's offense and that is really important in terms of projecting success for not just tight ends but receivers and running backs as well if you want to look at market share data like he t- he produced in the 98th percentile in terms of tight end market share like that is up there with the other elite tight ends that have been in the NFL for in the past 30 or 40 years or whatever and he did it at just 21 years old against you know Decent competition at the very least in Colorado State. I think they play in the Mountain West. So the production question marks, non-existent. The athletics, the athleticism question marks, non-existent. Like you need tight ends nowadays to run like just big wide receivers. You need guys who can stretch the field down the middle. And I think that is what the biggest strength of McBride's game is. He's not necessarily a guy who's like Darren Waller, who can you you can line up out wide. I think he has most of his experience as an inline tight end, as that wide tight end attached to the end of the formation. But there's not really a route that he didn't really run at Colorado State because again if 40% of your p- passing offense is going to this tight end he better be able to win in multiple areas and he won in the short game he won in the intermediate game and most importantly he won in the vertical game and he just he just carried those linebackers down the seams and he was able to make great contested catches and has great body control at the at the point of attack or at the catch point if you will so the athleticism questions or the athleticism ability of this guy is exactly what they need. And I think it's what they see in a guy like Hayden Hurst. But again, Hurst is only here for one year, and this guy is seven years younger. So there's obvious interest. I think they met with him at the Combine. They're going to have him for a top-30 visit. They've worked him out at his pro day. The only question for me is, I don't know where he gets drafted, because if he's the consensus to best tight end or tight end one in this class, do you take him at 31? Like, where is... Like overall, I don't think he's like a perfect tight end by any means. Like there might be some questions about his versatility, maybe about his blocking ability, but as a guy who's just a vertical thread at the tight end positioning and could be that missing component long-term in the Bengals offense. Now that they need long-term stability at the tight end position, Drew samples entering a contract year and behind him and Hearst, you have basically nothing aside from Mitchell Wilcox. Like they need talent at tight end and they need some guy to dominate the middle of the field while you have chase and Higgins and Boyd out on the perimeter. So I think the, the interest there is quite interesting from my perspective. And the fact that this guy checks all the boxes of what they're missing out of a tight end. I don't know if you take that at 31, but if he's there at 63, like I would consider him one of the favorites to
1: get picked. I would as well. And I would love that uh you know i mean i know there could be questions on value and whatever but when you are picking at the end of rounds you know like you said you're, you're looking at players that are fringe you know first second rounder second third rounder here is some uh some stats from courtesy of vspn here look at look at look at this number right here look at a, a couple of numbers now one that is i guess we'll start a little bit of bad news before the good news <laughs> one crazy. touchdown yeah You touch the ball, you catch the ball 90 times, you got one touchdown. That's insane. But you catch the ball 90 times in college as a tight end, 1,121 yards as a tight end in college in a single season. That is silly. That is absolutely silly that a, a player would have those kinds of stats. And this, to me, you've already shored up the offensive line. You have, you know, there's questions about edge rusher you know, maybe maybe if you're able to get, you know, a uh, you know a three tech that makes sense in, in your first at your first pick, and this guy's hanging around at the back of the second, that, that would be two home run type of picks for this team if you're able to get that kind of value. Maybe even they view him as a first round kind of fringe first round guy and that makes sense for them. I don't know. But to me When you have those, you got to have this weapon here again. And maybe it's Hurst for this year, and maybe it's McBride for the years after, but you got to have this weapon in today's NFL, even though he may not be as freakishly athletic as some of the others we have seen come through over the years. This is a guy I think that could help a team out immensely with his skills. 90 catches last year.
2: And I think they're in the, like you said, they're in a great spot for him to develop because the thing with tight ends is that they rarely produce as rookies. Kyle Kyle Pitts is the exception because Kyle Pitts is in every sense of the word an exception to the tight end position. But I think ideally you want a rookie tight end, no matter how talented they are to come in as like a second or third string guy and really like learn the ropes of the offense and whatnot and, and get a year to get acclimated within the system because that's usually the case it's not even just for rookies it's tight ends on rookie contracts in general most tight ends don't really break out until they're on their second contracts in their mid to late 20s so with mcbride you get him within the system right you have him as playing behind or in tandem with sample and hearst you get a year out of both sample and hearst and then you have mcbride kind of take over i think that is the ideal scenario here also I don't know where where you uh, lie with this, but in terms of just overall draft philosophy with tight ends, it seems like the sweet spot is between like the third and fifth round. And that's where you kind of maximize the value of that position. Like if you're picking a tight end in the first round, like it better be like a Gronkowski because so many times you're seeing like Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller is another example. He was like a six round pick. Um, A a ton of other examples that I can't can't think of off off the top of my head, but a lot of the great tight ends, they're not necessarily always picked in the first couple of rounds. And if you're going against the grain on that, it's like almost picking like a running back that high, you better be kind of worth it in that sense, because if you're not maximizing that value, then you're sacrificing, not picking another position that you kind of need. So with McBride, it comes down to, is he worth that late second round pick? If you're not picking like a defensive tackle or cornerback in that spot.
1: Again, I, I think the Bengals have shown more than a willingness to surround Joe Burrow with all kinds of different talent, a lot of different weapons, and I think you know Hurst is a nice addition, and he he this could be you know he could be putting up career type of numbers in this in this system with this quarterback here, but um we'll see what happens there. But this is I this is tight end is one of my favorite positions in the in the NFL just because of the things you can do with that position and. And the ways you can utilize certain certain talents there, and they are all all, usually one of the most freakishly athletic types of players, along with edge rushers there. But um, yeah, I I just I I can't say it enough. I mean, if 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 he is showing athleticism, he's obviously shown hands, given the stats that we you know in in Colorado State's reliance upon him last year in their offense. I I I think it makes a lot of sense.
2: Pretty much, and. I think precedent is still kind of important when you look at the Bengals in drafting. They've taken two tight ends in the first round before. Jermaine Gresham and Tyler Eifert both were very athletic and both were very productive there. Like Gresham, I think had very similar market share at Oklahoma in like 2008 2009 because Sam Bradford was his quarterback, and Tyler Eifert was a prominent receiver with Notre Dame, and both of those guys. Um, graded really highly with, within the Bengals in their system and they were both first round picks so I don't again I don't know if McBride is in play with that 31st overall pick because I don't know if he's of that caliber in terms of like his overall grade but I, I think in, just with other tight ends that they've picked high in the past like definitely a better prospect than Drew Sample and they picked him in the second round so yeah. Um, yeah. I, I do believe that there's interest with McBride and I don't think that you can discount that at this point
1: Thanks for the profile there. Trey McBride, Colorado State, a guy that uh, could be on the Bengals' high list of priorities coming up here at the uh, almost a month away. Well, a little under a month away. I can't even believe how fast that's gone, but uh, Bengals will be set to draft here in just a handful of weeks. Before we get out of here and drop the mic, John, I've got to remember when, and I'm sneaking Mm. this one up on you here. This is – maybe this one's a little bit more obvious, but – uh, and this isn't draft-centric, free agent-centric uh, so much. This is a little bit more pre-trade deadline in-season situation. Do you remember when the Bengals almost traded A.J. McCarron to Hugh Jackson and the Cleveland Browns? Do you remember that? I I, I think we all Unfortunately, that. Yeah. That whole situation was weird. And there was, uh, you know, I, I think – the Bengals may or may not have been sensing not only that they could get value for AJ McCarron, but they were sensing maybe there was a little bit based on, I mean, I guess what he did in the playoff game against the Steelers, maybe. And, and just some dissatisfaction with Andy Dalton at the time that the team felt that they could get some things for him. And they almost had an in-division trade to their old friend, Hugh Jackson, and uh, did not work out here. are A couple of articles I stumbled across. This is, these are, these are pretty funny. Um, check this one out from Bleacher Report here. Brown's ownership reported, reportedly, quote, went nuclear after a failed A.J. McCarron trade. Um, and this is, again, according to uh, Mike Florio of the – I think that's some someone they're referencing here and Adam Schefter. Um, but, you know, they, the Browns were set to send a second and third round pick in 2018 – to Cincinnati for McCarron, um, and unfortunately, uh, D. Haslam went quote nuclear on Wednesday against those who were responsible for the McCarron trade not getting done. There's some differing reports on why or how that did or did not happen. You see, uh, the Browns notified the NFL of the trade shortly after the 4 p.m. deadline, and a protest to get the trade approved was denied. So they let uh, the league know after. Afterwards, but a second and third round pick were set to be given to Cincinnati for AJ McCarron. And uh, here's a, a, an article from We Got to Do a Shameless Self Promotion, Cincy Jungle from a couple of years ago. AJ McCarron reacting to the fumbled trade between the Bengals and Browns from our buddy Patrick Judas. Uh, the quote, It's hard to answer how it felt going through the trade process, truthfully, McCarron told reporters, because you're sitting there with your family getting ready for Halloween, dressing the little man up, and you get a call that you're going somewhere, and then you try and figure out what's happening, and then you're not getting traded. Um, And then, you know, what did you you do? Quote, no, I came in here, worked out, watched film, did my usual Tuesday deal, and then I went home and was getting ready for Halloween with his young son at the time. Um, I guess I found out when everyone else found out on Twitter. McCarron said my agent said they were writing an appeal for the trade and I got a call later on that it didn't it got rejected so a botched situation there Bengals missed out on some trade capital but do you remember when the Bengals almost traded AJ McCarron to the Cleveland Browns
2: I remember I was in I was in college at the time I was like eating like on campus at UC and like we were all kind of waiting for it to happen and like it Became four o'clock and like oh oh it must have uh, they must not have done it and then the report came out said they tried to do it but failed because of a fax machine like that was still being a useful piece of technology in 2017 like what the (laughs) hell is going on but a couple things here one AJ McCarron was almost traded for a second and third round pick he didn't throw a pass in two years the Browns can't get anything for Baker Mayfield. Like, wow. is that is that not crazy to anybody else but me?
1: Like, that's a great point. For,
2: for starters, I don't know what the negotiations that that timeline goes through up until the very end of the deadline, and you still land on a second and third round pick. Like, if if the interest was that high, I don't understand why the deal wasn't done sooner. And also, I know the whole joke is with the fax machine. It's like on the Bengals for getting it in late, but. I do wonder if people within the Browns organization sabotaged it because they didn't want AJ McCarron to be the quarterback for a second and third round pick. And they eventually did draft Mayfield the following spring because Deshaun Kaiser was a complete disaster in his rookie year. Kind of seems like someone undermined the Haslam's there because the Haslam's are kind of nuts. But, I mean, Hugh Hugh Jackson was the head coach and he did have a relationship with McCarron from Cincinnati. So I'm not saying it's likely... I'm just saying I wouldn't put it past them.
1: Yeah, and man, if that trade had gone through, Hugh Jackson just was a guy that just would, based on trades and quarterbacks, would have been the guy that just kept giving the Bengals all kinds of stuff. The Carson Palmer <laughs> deal. I mean, just here here you go. Here you go. Just an interesting tidbit of information before we hop out of here with the A.J. McCarron almost trade to the Cleveland Browns and a little fun, remember, one is we take strolls down – Memory, memory lane. The Bengals. Uh, it's it like you said. It's very weird how it worked out. They almost got a second and third round pick the following draft for a backup quarterback of theirs, and then subsequently, after the trade did not work out, the the Browns turned right around and drafted Baker Mayfield, who now they have pivoted off of for Deshaun Watson a handful of years later. So it's like, wow, time time. What is it? Time is a flat circle, or I don't know something like that. It's it's weird. Well, it's not only that they had to give up, or I think the Texans had to give up a pick for Brock
2: Osweiler, or, or there was a trade with the Browns and Brock Osweiler, and, and like the, I think the Texans had to give up a pick in order to trade him to take on his salary. And now the Browns have to give up a pick to trade Baker Mayfield. At least that's like the rumor report, which which I don't think they're going to do. But it's always the Browns, man. It's always the Browns. <laughs>
1: That's true. That's true. Uh, Let's drop the mic and get out of here. I don't have too much more besides the remember when. And also, again, just want to reiterate as a, as a person who has followed the Bengals for a really long time, covered them for a really long time now. um, I I just can't, uh, we'll we'll see exactly what happens with an indoor facility, but that's just something where it's just kind of like, you know, fist pump. I like it.
2: So we did forget to mention though, at the, at the owner's meetings that, the rule, the new postseason rule got passed, and one of the three teams that voted against it was the Bengals. And Katie Blackburn had that vote because she was representing the team. It's usually Mike Brown voting no on any new rule change because that's just what he does. But I appreciate Blackburn <laughs> for st- standing strong here. She is on record for saying that she doesn't mind the rule. I think it was just because it only affected the postseason and they wanted some uh, consistency with the regular season, too. But appreciate her standing strong here because. I don't think the rule's gonna change anything, in all honesty. I, I think it's just leading to it's gonna be a touchdown and a touchdown, and then the team gets that gets the ball third and overtime. It's gonna be the same thing. It's just the, the it's just moved back two drives, essentially. Um, I, I think the Titans proposal made a lot more sense where if the first team scores and then uh, converts a two-point conversion, then the game's over. I think that makes a ton more sense. I don't think this changes anything. I think fans will still complain and whine about it because the team who got the ball second doesn't get another chance after the team gets it third, but whatever. Thank, thank you to Katie Blackburn for standing strong on
1: this rule because I don't think it's going to change anything, really. I, I don't – yeah, I don't think so either. It's, uh, you know, that that Bills-Chiefs game of, for all the wonderful playoff games aside from that that we saw this postseason – and uh, i guess we're a little partial because of the Bengals going far but i mean there were a lot of great postseason games and and for some reason that bills chiefs well I, I, we know why but that one just kind of hung around and that uh is obviously what prompted this rule change here so we'll see how that affects teams going forward but good point john we're gonna get out of here this has been the orange and black insider Bengals podcast again you can subscribe to our youtube channel The icon is beneath the Cincy Jungle logo on John's side of the screen there. Click that to subscribe and the bell to click that bell to be notified when we go live and when new content is available. And as I mentioned, you can subscribe to the Cincy Jungle podcast channel on the audio side of things through your favorite streamer. Please do so. Leave a review. We appreciate it. Have a good week and we will be talking to you all soon. Yeah, have a good one.